This podcast, number 827, with Corey McComb, is brought to you by Jeannie Lee, author of a new book entitled Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. Jeannie's new book gives you an opportunity to contemplate and take a deep personal dive into what is important in your life. While deep contemplative thinking and meditating on our issues is something we should be doing more often, it seems as if the COVID pandemic has put more fear in our lives and we are spending less time doing what is imperative to building resiliency and questioning our personal beliefs and actions that are not serving us. If you want to learn more about Jeannie Lee and her new book, please visit her website at www.genieleeyogatherapy.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-E-L-E-E yoga, Y-O-G-A therapy.com. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and host of Inside Personal Growth. And Corey, as I do every time I come on these shows, I thank the listeners because you know, I've been doing this 13 years, uh, 800 and almost 50 podcasts. Um, a lot of authors have come and gone, <laughs> as they say. And it's always nice to meet a new author and somebody with a message that I think is going to resonate um, with just tons of people. And we're on with Corey McComb. And his new book that will be out while well, the time this is aired is called Productivity uh, is for Robots, right? That's the one. Okay. And Corey is joining us from La Jolla, California. Just came back to San Diego. Glad to have you back here, Corey. And he was introduced to me by Mark Pacorda. And Mark is a really good friend who wrote a book uh, really about his company called Launch Boom. And for all you who are out there, highly recommend you going back and listening to that podcast uh, with Mark. Really, really bright guy. Good day to you, Corey. How you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on because number one, you come from a referral source, which is just, you know, he's an awesome guy. Mark's the man. He, he is the man. If, if somebody's going to raise money for a brand new product, Mark is the guy. Um, yes. But I'm going to let people know just a tad bit about you, if you don't mind. Uh, Corey McComb is a writer based in San Diego, actually La Jolla. He says, after being kidnapped by a rock and roll circus at the age of 16, he was forced to strum his way across the country and back again. Then he toiled as a peon in a parking garage and speedy telemarketing pits until becoming the international man of mystery. In search of a free concert ticket, he moved to musician journalism and began a steamy love of fairy with the blank page. Uh, Corey now helps peoples and companies validate ideas, tell their stories, and launch products. Uh, his own writing focuses on the sweet spot in life where human connection, creativity, and personal growth intersect. Through blog posts, essays, and occasional short stories, Corey examines the human condition and new ways of thinking. Uh, if you really want to learn more about Corey, go to Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, McComb, M-C-C-O-M-B dot com. Uh, and there you can go to his website. It's got a newsletter, courses, blog. Uh, you can learn more about the book there. 
productivity is for robots um, and learn more and actually get uh, one of the chapters from the book as well. And um, Corey, pleasure having you here. And this topic is timely. It's timeless. It's really what I want to say. It's timeless. It's not timely. Uh, The reality is, but it's more timely because of COVID. Um, And I think people today kind of reevaluating their lives. You know, COVID has done, if it's done one thing, it's helped people slow down and think. Um, And I don't have a copy of the book to hold up, but I don't know if you've got anything in your hands, but normally we hold up the copy of the book. But I'm just going to tell you, beautiful book jacket design, well written by somebody who knows how to write. And in the introduction to the book, you paint a picture of a guy that was really lost sight of what was important. It was if you personally were chasing what you believe the rest of the world thought was important. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do that for a very long time until they wake up and find themselves. Uh, You were anxious. You were feeling as if whatever you did, it wasn't enough. And that is a proverbial story in society is not being enough. What advice would you give the listeners that are feeling like that and they're running a marathon, but the marathon seems like there's no end to it because it's just like, hey, it's 26.2 miles. I thought this thing was going to end and I could take a break, but I'm not. What advice do you have? Exactly. Well, thanks for the introduction, Greg. I I really appreciate that. I'm really happy to be here. And um, I'm really glad that you were able to connect timely to timeless because that was certainly my goal. You know, most of the book was written before COVID really, really hit. I was more just like editing this year. And what I wanted to do was write something that was connected to the present moment as we kind of have, as technology grows and becomes a bigger, faster, stronger part of our lives, we're able to lean into our humanity more and more, though we do it less and less. And trying to kind of connect that to the present moment while at the same time introducing these lessons that can really be timeless. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I set out to do. So thank you for recognizing that. Well, you did a great job. And, you know, your personal story is weaved throughout this along with a lot of other Mm -hmm. stories. And I think much of your story had tremendous amounts of personal pain in it up to that point. Your journal entries that you write uh, in the book that you kind of start a lot of the chapters with where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a journal entry there. Um, What advice do you have for people that are in that kind of pain? Yeah, that that feeling where you're waking up and it's just never enough. You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people, and I think that I almost started to believe this when I started writing the book, is like it's not really so much the amount of work. If you feel like you're on a marathon, one of the big central messages here is that you you don't want to confuse movement with meaning. And I think that's <laughs> what happens a lot in society when we get caught up in this feeling that you know, we're, we're a generation and we have so much more ambition. There's so many more ways to be ambitious. And what I found growing up, you know, over the last 10 years with, with Tony Robbins and self-help and this optimization movement, and there's so much good in it, but it can also leave you feeling like if you're not 
capitalizing on your success, if you're not squeezing out every last bit of focus, if you're not scaling your time in, in all these different areas that you're somehow falling behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we feel that energy coming from the world that is saying that you need to be doing more, if you're not growing, you're dying and all these things that it can be really easy to latch onto some of that and start and just start finding things to do. And as you find more and more things to do, as you start running that marathon, if you're not doing things that are in alignment with your true purpose, or you haven't taken that step back to really realize, you know, ask yourself the question, what am I doing and why that's when it starts to feel like a marathon. You mm-hmm. know? It, it's not so much that you need to do less. It's often that you're just doing, you're, you're building a moat around the thing. You're, you're, you're building like a moat of tasks around the thing that is actually um, keeping you from doing like what you should be doing in the first place. It's connect. It's collecting the static on the line as, as I write about. So, yeah, and I, I think as human beings, though, as a, as the human condition, as as we are designed, you know, we come out of our mother's womb and uh, we grow up as children. We get conditioned. Uh, the conditioning leads to us uh, of falling into patterns. Uh, we are uh, a species that likes to do things, right? And it's so hard for people to slow down. And you state that in our ongoing quest to become limitless beings, we've shifted those envious eyes away from the gods and towards something more quantifiable. And you say output, right? That's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about here is, okay, you know, what did you do for me today? You know, you know, did, did you do enough today? Why is chasing the elusive output and productivity we seek as the never ending battle, because, you know, I'm a quite a bit older than you. Okay. And I've been at this, I'm going to call it this game because, you know, it's like we're players on a stage and we're in different acts of the play. We're in different acts of life. And it seems people kind of at your age, even when I was your age, we fall into all of those things about what the world is. It's almost like it's seductive. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's have more. Let's be more. Let's, you know, let's get the, uh, uh, sorry, Tesla, but let's get the Tesla and let's have a this and that and whatever. So what, what, how would you balance this thing between output productivity and kind of the never ending battle with it? Yeah, you know, there's a line in the book that goes, busyness is just laziness with a collared shirt. Uh (laughs) And and it's something that I kind of fell into where it's a lot easier to say I'm too busy than I'm scared and I don't know where to start. And I've, you know, I spent a year really using busyness just as a proverbial stiff arm to keep the things away that I know that I really wanted to do. You know, it's like, you know, like the packed schedule is just the sacrificial lamb in a lot of ways. And it's so easy to fall into that. Um, I think that you balance it out really by, by taking that step back and, and, and asking yourself, like, how is this making me feel? And it's not about like, what, what are you doing? It's, it's more about like, what are you not doing? Cause that's, 
because the feeling of being on a never ending treadmill, like you're not doing enough, doing more and more, it might sound like you need to do less, but chances are, at least for me, it's not about doing less. It's like the things that I'm doing are stopping me from doing something that is actually going to make me feel fulfilled, mm-hmm. you know? You know, and, and, and we're, we're so hungry for, for the productivity hacks, the, um, you know, whether it's speed reading or smart pills or, you know, I, I think that there's this belief that when you look at really successful people, you know, like we'll, we'll use Elon Musk because you, you brought up Tesla and, um, right. you know, like the Elon Musk and the Steve Jobs of the world, I think it's really easy to see like, oh, these guys are working so hard. They're, they're just crushing and grinding and hustling and, you know, I need to be doing that much. But I think that people, people, um, they underestimate the energy that you get when, when what you're doing is really aligned with a greater sense of like purpose and meaning. Right. They, they assume that these people must be like on Adderall or, or drugs, or they're just like never sleeping because they seem like they're doing so much output. And, you know, what these people have found more or less is something it's not just busy work to them. Like they're living their purpose. Like you get like an intrinsic human energy step into this human flow when what your when your productivity is aligned with your purpose it doesn't lead to this burnout it doesn't lead to this stress and overwhelm and i know that you talk about this in your book a lot um as well hacking the gap that stress and worry like that is kryptonite to the productive person mm-hmm. and when we just keep going along and we're not and we're doing, we're, we're trying to keep up with these other people thinking that movement is meaning and it actually takes us further away. It drowns out the true calling and it, um, it leads to stress and overwhelm because we're running on this wheel and, you know, it's like the more you get done, the more it feels like there is to do. Yeah. You know? Well, the, the whole concept around purpose, I used to teach a course in um, the on purpose person, you know, mm-hmm. And, and I would have to say that I've chased person purpose as well. Think the question might be for you is having someone find the purpose um, or the purpose finding them Mm -hmm. might even be better Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that go through a large part of their life, never having even realized what their purpose is, right? Although we all have a purpose. And if we stop for just a moment and we contemplate our doing this, you know, we realize that we're most of the time hiding something that the soul is looking for, that the soul is calling to us. You know, I think that's probably just as important. I'm rereading this book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, something you may have read. But, you know, if I said to you tomorrow morning, if if there was someone that came down from the heavens and said, hey, Corey, this is your last day. Tomorrow morning's it. It's over. Finitude has something. That finitude has something to actually tell people that there's no greater lesson in life than death. Mm-hmm. No greater lesson in life than death. Cause we all make the assumption we're going to be here forever. Yes. Right. And that's a 
That's a pretty insane assumption. Because if there's one thing that equalizes all people, right, and you'd agree with it, no matter how much money that, you know, Elon Musk has or this person has, money isn't it. You know, wealth isn't it. Stature isn't it. None of that is it. There's one thing, and that is the fact that we will all perish at some point. We're not going to be here. So with that, you state that in your book about the delicate art of urgent goal of staying human, a life where all endeavors flow into this united stream of connection, creativity, and purpose, what we were just talking about. In your estimation, what is it that we need to most likely unlearn or rethink about how we're living our lives? Mm. This is this is a real pivotal point, not only for your book, but for our listeners. What is it that we need to rethink or unlearn about how we're living our lives? Mm-hmm. I love that you use the word unlearn because that really is what so much of it is. You know, I, I say in the book that, you know, humans aren't robots, but we are programmable, <laughs> you know, and it's so important to unlearn and really first disconnect from some of the stories and the beliefs that we've built up about success and wealth building and a lot of those things you just mentioned. You know, I think that the real tangible takeaway of of what we need to reconsider, if I had to sum it up into a short sentence, would be to not try and be, forget about trying to be efficient and try and be effective. And we already have machines and robots that can work a hundred hours plus, you know, that have algorithms that can, that can, you know, predict certain things. And as, as humans, what we really need to do is lean into our human nature and do what no one else can do or nothing else can do, which is like be creative. You know, that's a real cornerstone in the book is about um, being creative. Um, what we need to unlearn or rethink is that in this new world, it's not the most productive that thrives, you know, it's, it's really the most creative and, and the most connected. So I think that the whole book is really a, an invitation to think and rethink about the way we approach work, approach our lives, approach our goals and leaning into, in, into the human nature. Um, and we can just dive deeper on, on some of those topics. But I think that that's probably like the biggest one is, is forget about efficiency, forget about trying to outwork and outgrind and out hustle and lean into the human nature. And we need time, you know, art's not efficient. Um, you know, friendships, not efficient relationships aren't efficient, you know, sitting and wondering and imagining the big, the next big breakthrough, um, you know, that's going to come from the imagination and you're not going to have your best ideas when you're in a hurry. You know, right. if you've got a, a ton of worry and stress and you're just completely laser focused on the productivity and obviously there's a place for that, right? There's a place for like deep work and extreme focus. And, um, you know, this is kind of going back to what you're saying about finding your purpose is that, you know, inspiration follows action. You can't just sit around waiting for your purpose to just fall out of the sky and hit you on the head. I mean, it's going to happen from like doing things, but you know, you're not going to have your best ideas when you're stressed out or in a hurry or like tunnel visioned on something. And 
as humans, if we want to get the most out of our time in this new world and really be, you know, quote unquote productive, it's going to come from creativity. It's going to come mm-hmm. from, you know, letting your mind relax and wander and actually loosening your grip of, of focus instead of tightening it. Yeah. And, you know, you, um, you, you talk about that in the book and I used a term, I, I said in my book and I'm sure you, you read it, but I said like fine tuning the channel. Now in your case, you use a thing called static mm-hmm. and to be able to fine tune to hear, to listen to the subtleties, you're being actually guided much of your life, depending on whether or not you believe in a higher po- purpose or a higher power, I should say, or not. There are signs and symbols. There are things that are happening. If you're listening to your body, if you're listening to the outside world talking to you, and you say, when life brings us opportunity, but we are so hyper-focused and plugged into life with tunnel vision productivity, right? You state, we collect static on the line. How would you advise the listeners to clear the static on the line so that they can reconnect with what's important? Now, here's the point. If the static is so loud and you can't fine tune the channel, you're never going to hear the calling. Right. It's just, right. you're just, you're just not going to hear it. And I think much of the world today is it, the, the static is prolific. It's everywhere mm-hmm. because everybody's trying to capture your attention. Everybody's using social media. Everybody wants to do a podcast Everybody's got something else, right? That they go, because look, you are a marketing guy and the Mm -hmm. marketers call it the hook. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can keep getting the hook in and keep people climbing the hook, you know, I was watching David Letterman and I'm going to sidestep here for a second, interview Kim Kardashian. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's on that new show on Netflix. He's got the big beard and the whole thing. Right. And, you know, she's saying stuff like, well, I can put a tweet up about Carl's Jr. And I can have 5 million hits in two minutes or something like that, right? Whatever the heck it is. And it's like, wow, is this what the world's come to? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is, is it? And so to me, that's static. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's just a ton of static. Um, what, what are you going to advise the listeners out there who might not be able to fine tune the radio and all they get is static, right? I mean, you have to start looking under the hood at your own programming and static is something that can be found, whether it's through Kim Kardashian or just, just looking around. I mean, you know, going back to unlearning, it's the static is, is the stories, you know, it's other people's stories and perceptions that we adopt along the way that, you know, we look around and see other people doing things and it, you know, if we're not doing enough, we feel like we're falling behind and and that can all be static. You know, there's the, I, I open that uh, with a great story about Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. And um, he's one of my favorite historical figures. He, with the glasses a, and he couldn't see when he was shooting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was out a little boy and he was out in, in the prairie with his friends and they were all, shooting rifles and he was just watching as his friends were you know like taking aim and watching these birds fly out of the sky when he couldn't even see them at all and there's this moment in his um in his biography that they talk about how the boys were reading letters from the sign like off in the distance and he and Theodore Roosevelt 
he couldn't, he couldn't even see the words at all. And it wasn't that he couldn't read. Right. So he gets his first pair of spectacles and he writes in his journal that he was like, he had no idea that he wasn't even seeing, he was wholly ignorant to the fact that he couldn't see. Right. Um, and that is so much of how people go through life that they aren't even aware that they're not seeing the whole picture. Um, because we collect static on our line or we collect fog on the glasses. And, and, and it's something that's never really quite like a one and done, you know, it's about reconnecting, clearing the statics. You can hear the call that's meant for you. You know, I talk about the hero's journey quite a bit in the book and that every adventure starts off with this call to adventure where the hero is knocked out of the ordinary world and it's up to them to answer it. But when we have all this static, when we're too busy, when we've built a moat of tasks around like our true purpose, we can't even hear it. So we don't give ourselves a chance at being amazed, right? We don't give ourselves a chance at surprising ourselves. And there's a lot of lessons in the first half of the book. They talk about how you can, you know, clear, clear the static. And it's all about reconnecting with, you know, with other people, with yourself, the world, nature, stories, nature. I think that if I had to give one, like the most meaningful one would probably be uh, a journal practice for me, that, that is something that I always amaze myself. It's like something that's like the most powerful and accessible things. And it's something that I consistently do for a while. And then I seem to like fall off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like hard for me to like even keep a consistent practice. Yeah, I'm the same way, but it is, you know, the reason the journal I'll just reflect is so valuable is, is reflection. It allows you to go into the depths of your mind and then put something on paper. And then whether you read it and burn it, it doesn't matter. I used to burn my notes from the journal mm-hmm. because some of the stuff that you reflect on, you're, you're trying to move the energy through right? There's, there's energy there that's kind of blocking you up. And um, you state that false memories, okay, we're talking now about journaling, don't actually change the past, but the stories we tell ourselves do affect our present and future, the stories, mm-hmm. right? So when we journal, frequently we're writing the stories, we're talking about our beliefs mm-hmm. and our patterns and the things we do. Speak with us, if you would, about the cognitive reappraisal and how we can use this to change the story we're telling ourselves. Because, you know, look, those actions, I should say, those patterns turn into beliefs, those beliefs turn into actions, and those actions then turn into uh, stronger patterns and beliefs, and we have a hard time breaking them. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so you have this thing called cognitive reappraisal. Um, how would you advise these listeners about utilizing this? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can connect it back to journaling because journaling, it's often thought of as the art of like collecting. And, and there is some, some truth to that. It's really nice to go back and revisit great moments, things you might have forgotten about. But when it comes to like clearing the static and really investigating the stories that you're telling yourself, it's, it's the art of emptying. You know, you're getting these things out of your head and you'll be able to give yourself a difference between like past you and present you. And I think that the beautiful thing about the, the reappraisal when it comes to journaling is that you're giving yourself a chance to say you're getting something out of your head, which is already a bad place to ruminate. Right. right? It's, it's dark in there. 
it's it's like introspection in your head is like getting dressed in the dark. <laughs> you know, it's like you might get your pants on, but they're probably going to be on backwards and they're not going right. to right. you know? right. get these things out of your head and into the journal. Cause what happens to me is I look at them and I say like, well, that's not even really true. You know, that's what I was thinking in my head. And it might've sounded true because I wasn't able to get it out into the light and see it. And, um, you know, the cognitive reappraisal, it's, it's what it is essentially just to explain it. It's, 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 you're training yourself when you say, oh, this is going to be such a long week. This is going to be so stressful to really just stop for a minute and say, okay, that, you know, Brene Brown talks about this. She has a great line where, and, and this is really like the mic drop moment is, is she has changed her language. So she says, the story I'm telling myself is, Mm-hmm. And just, just saying that kind of gives you an opportunity to say like, okay, like, like false memories don't change the, the, the past, you know, as I write, but, you know, our perception of what's happening do affect our future. So just taking a moment to realize like what we're worried about, like hasn't happened yet. This is still a story. There's still time to change the story. So a cognitive reappraisal would be taking that emotion, pausing and say, this is a story like, how can I turn this into a positive or how can I just turn these feelings to something that's a little more neutral? And, um, you know, in the book I talk about, there's a lot of research out there that shows that um, being optimistic has a, a lot of benefits. So. Oh, uh, so true. I mean, it's, it's everything in life. And I think one of those areas that you can tell yourself stories that can be really dangerous and is really around your health. You know, you can actually reprogram. I just had Bernie Siegel on here. And then I've just been with uh, Stephen Berman, who is a emergency room doctor for 20 years at Scripps hospital. And this, it's not only the stories we tell ourselves, but it's the stories that somebody of authority may tell us or infer upon us about our health that we start to believe. The doctor says, oh, you're going to die. Go home and die, right? You've got got a year to live. And you look at all the people that refuted this story and lived another 20 years, right? But, and so the power of someone outside of ourselves, plus ourselves believing that is so strong. And, you know, you mentioned in the book, that the rate of mental illness and loneliness in our society is at increasing alarming rates. Maybe I said that, maybe you didn't say it in the book, (laughs) but that our work is more important than our social lives. Mm -hmm. What are the dangers of this isolated life? Because look, with COVID, more isolation than ever. And how would you recommend people break free from their mental attachment of always putting work before connecting with others? And yeah, that was in your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a big piece of the book. That's something that I had struggled with myself. And, um, you know, there's a funny, it's like a funny sentiment among millennials. I think, I think I saw a meme for this. That's like, you know, getting older is just telling your friends how busy you are. We'll be sure to catch up soon until you die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that in the book. <laughs> it's so easy to just kind of fall into that thinking. And, um, I remember seeing that and just being like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's too true. Um, well, I think that our society, we kind of put chasing our dreams above all, ec- above all else. And we, we've really gotten better as a society and encouraging each other to 
kind of follow your dreams and, and work hard and like manifest your, 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 um, your greatest reality. So I think it's kind of in a weird way, almost become socially acceptable to say, I can't hang out because I'm focused on this. Like all the success stories that we hear, a lot of them are like, you know, I, uh, I sacrificed for years and it seen anybody said no to go into parties, social events and all that. Um, and the problem with this is that it really does run right up against our human biology. Um, there's a wonderful book by Sebastian Younger. It's called Tribe, and it's all about human connection and PTSD and um, and a lot of really like beautiful topics. But he talks about how, you know, it was really only you know twenty thousand years ago or so that we were living in tribes where if you wanted to be an individual and have personal property and think for yourself and all like these are these are all still really new concepts like the notion that you could go days without being around somebody else or worrying about somebody else and just be completely individualistic that is something that um you know our dna and our biology hasn't had a chance to catch up to these these differences in the world where you can just go months and years with really just being all on your own so there's like an actual biological you know, like emotional and physical regulation where we need other humans around us. Right. And this chapter is written before COVID of course. Um, and I know that it's just that much harder. And I think that we can see in the numbers, you know, the lockdowns, you know, different people will argue about how necessary or unnecessary they are. However, the number of suicides and depression and, you know, domestic yeah. abuse, like these things are going up because we're not able to go and be connected to other humans, you know, most um, definitely, but you know, the, the good news is, you know, for listeners who are wondering how to up their, their human connection is it doesn't actually take hours of dinner parties and long walks on the beach with thousands of friends. Like it, it, it just comes down to recognizing that you are part of a tribe, you know, making mm-hmm. small talk, you know, holding the door open for someone, um, just, just, just smiling and just sending that signal to your brain that, Hey, I, I'm a human, you're a human. Um, I think that for, for me, what really led to aches and pains in my body and like this, that, that tunnel vision on work was that I felt like I was too busy for friends. And when I would hang out with them, I would feel guilty. Like I should be working, you know, like, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm out at the beach. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just hanging out under the sun. I should be writing my book. I should be like doing these other things. I'm not being productive. Right. Right. But, but what's true is that you are being productive because you're connecting with other human beings and you're, you maybe they're holding space for you so you can get things off your chest, which is very, very important. And then it's also, it's like, we're interdependent beings you know like you don't it's not just about you it's also about the society that you want to live in um the service that you want to give to others and you never know like what calling a friend or doing a zoom call with a friend just so you can listen to them talk and they can see the expression in your face and you can see the expression in theirs like how much that really generates you know creativity is a result of of empathy you know, like we need to be able to see how other people think and feel. And this goes into like being able to learn. And 
you know, this is kind of like a long-winded answer of just saying like, also, we, it's also a creativity is also a result of connectivity. Right. Exactly. You know, we you don't create alone, you know, no man is an Island kind of thing. Totally. We're not going to be able to, you know, do Steve jobs. Didn't do it alone. Uh, all these guys who've made fortunes doing what they're doing. There was a team uh, and, you know, those people come together and, you know, because you've worked in this environment, but I love your story in the book uh, about Colin O'Brady. I remember actually watching a little documentary about him and the Explorer okay. trekked a thousand miles over the Arctic in, in 54 days. Now this is talking about isolation now. So we can really get to this because mm-hmm. now you go take a sled <laughs> across the Arctic for 54 days by yourself. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And you're, you've got some true isolation. You then state that there is one key difference between being physically alone and embracing the true power of solitude. So we're talking solitude, silence, okay? And it is an an inch wide and runs a mile deep, and it's called silence. I've been to many silent retreats where I had to be silent for three days, okay? Speak with our listeners about the power of silence and if you would, I added meditation in there because I would assume that you have some practice of meditation, yes. uh, knowing the kind of person that you are. So I, I threw that in for kicks, but I think silence and meditation go together. Yeah. The silence can be deafening, as they say. It, it can be, th- this is one that, that I, all, most of the chapters, you know, Greg, I really wrote for myself. I'm talking to myself most of the, <laughs> these early drafts, and this is something that's hard for right. me. I think that, um, you know, there's this notion that, you know, alone time is, is really valuable. And, and of course it is, but as we have more podcasts, as we have more ways of listening music, you know, I make the point that how often are you really alone? If you're just at home on your phone, looking at other people, listening to other people's voices and, and things like that. And while we do need the human connection to, to help and inspire and, and we need each other. There's a, there's an Albert Camus quote that goes in order to understand the world, one must occasionally turn away from it. And to understand yourself, you really, I really believe that you need to completely turn away from it because when you're, you know, the, the power of silence is that it's, it's like this. If, if you're in, I'm a musician as well. So if you're in a music studio and you've got something in your head, like you've got a song or like a beat or something that you're trying to create, you need to be able to really listen and, and, and mix the boards. Right. So we all have this internal dialogue. We all have these hopes and dreams and fears and worries that are like percolating under the surface in our head. And maybe we're facing them. Maybe we're drowning them out, but you're going to get through those by like mixing them. You know, you're going to be testing the levels, but you can't mix you can't mix the song playing in your head. If you've got someone else's greatest hits album going on in the background, <laughs> you know, it's just going to take you away from that. And um, it's something that I still find in myself where if I'm doing the dishes or something, I'm like, I just want to put on a podcast. I don't want to deal with what's playing here, but that's just adding to the static on the line. Even if what you're listening to is good. And I think that it's very important in this day and age where the world is louder than ever to really sit and just and just listen to see what's going what's going on in here like what's actually playing you know meditation is is great for that um 
I mean, meditation is great for so many things. I think like in this context, connecting it to silence, if you're going to sit and meditate for 15 minutes, it, it's, it's the act of observing. It's what's actually playing right mm-hmm. now on this loop in my head because it's not quiet in here. And um, I think before you can get it to be quiet in here, you need to be able to actually listen and observe what's happening in there. And I think that silence is the, is the true canvas to, um, you know, to accomplish that. Well, the thing that usually happens when people start, if if somebody out there who's listening to my show isn't already a meditator, I'm really surprised, but um, you know, it's the monkey mind, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's all the to do's and the things, you know, and I, I say, do a mind dump, right? In other words, just, Put everything that's on your mind, write it all out on a piece of paper, stick it over there because that can always happen later. And it's a good way to clear all that mind chatter that's going on on that monkey mind. You tell a great story about Hawking, Lincoln, and CIA. I kind of paraphrased it from the book. Um, All knew the danger of not having their personal beliefs challenged. We're coming back to belief now because the reality is this is what sets the tone for all of us about whether we think we're productive or not <laughs> is yes. the belief mm-hmm. of whether or not we're productive or not. You've got to question it because you were just talking about it. It's like, Hey, that phone call. Well, that's productive. You were doing something productive. It's how you reframe it and how you look at it. Can you relay the stories and how this relates to having us update the beliefs that we could be misguiding uh, or misguided uh, about what we truly believe um, and just to question those beliefs. Because I like the fact that, you know, look, you're going to, um, in those stories, you're going to have somebody, actually, I think in Hawking's case, he paid somebody $100 mm-hmm. to question a theory about, a, was it black hole? You yes. tell the story. You go ahead yeah, and tell the story. Absolutely. There's a great Hawking story about he made a bet well, there's, there's two, but he used to, so Hawking used to make these public wagers with other um, physicists about, about their theories. And this was really looked down upon actually, because physicists, they, they rely on like funding. They really, they're really only as good as they are right. They, they, right. They're setting out to like prove things. Right. So when you have someone like Stephen Hawking, which is like, who's very famous is publicly in rooms of full of reporters saying like, I bet you a hundred dollars. That's not real. Or, he bit like he bet uh, Peter Higgs that the Higgs the Higgs boson would never be discovered. I think he bet him a right a year of Penthouse magazines, right? Right, right. <laughs> so he's got this sense of humor about it, and the you know the way he the other physicists were like, "You're calling me out. You're making me look bad. I can't be wrong. That's going to mean losing respect and funding." But you know, Hawking was really ready to be wrong. And I think that more than anything, he wanted to be proven wrong. Because, you know, people that are in the situation where they're surrounded by, you know, let's call them like, yes, men, like they know what they think, but they go out of their way to be proven wrong and to have other people around them that are going to disagree. You know, you brought up Lincoln, like I do in the book as well. And he had his team of rivals where he filled his cabinet when he became president of the people that openly ridiculed him, openly ran against him. And he wanted to build a think tank of people that were really going to be willing to challenge him and like really force him to think. And this chapter, Greg has probably become more, 
even more timely than ever just in the world that we're living in right now yeah. where you know the 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 way that fact can be blurred into fiction and and vice versa there's actually just new technologies being invented every day to just like blur that line and i think that when i wrote the chapter my my goal and call to action for myself and the reader was to really try and seek out those outside voices that are willing to change your mind and you sh- and, and to run towards them right you know with personal belief systems we attach our beliefs to our identity and that is just kind of like a a bug of being human right <laughs> we yeah. when we believe something we kind of make it part of our belief system and the problem with doing that is that when you start questioning those beliefs it becomes scary because it's like i'm i you know if you believe one thing and your identity is wrapped up in that and then someone else is saying well you know what you haven't thought this through and i'm going to give you some more information that right. might crumble that belief all of a sudden it's like you're not just attacking my belief you're attacking like who i am what i stand for and, and it's very dangerous, especially in today's world where truth is just such a moving target. And, you know, what, what I was starting to say is that when I wrote the chapter, I think it was more of, you know, running towards those voices that are willing to change your mind. And, and I still believe that, but I think more than ever, just seeing how, just seeing how hurtable people are in 2020 when it comes to information yeah. And um, group think that it's really a call to action to think for yourself. And you just have to be discerning. I think, I, I think, and, and it's based on your ability to take in information and logically process the information. I, I mm-hmm. it's the best way I can put it. Um, we're all going to stand at a different position, whether we believe it's fake news or it's not fake news or <laughs> it is what it is. Because it's so blurred. Everything right now has this sense of urgency uh, and uh, just a very high degree of complexity. Because if the decision you make, you're concerned that it that it could affect many things in the future, almost like a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see this happening all over. And I think this is a good place for us to kind of wrap up the interview and the book is filled with great stories that exemplify, you know, how can we and how we can recapture our true nature and purpose. Because really, in the end, it's your values and your purpose that you stand on that'll help you make the decision. Mm-hmm. I even said during this election, are you going to vote with your conscience or are you going to vote with your pocketbook? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you know you kind of have a choice. I I, uh, I kind of coined that term, I think, but <laughs> I think a lot of people will vote with their pocketbook, and hopefully, a lot more will vote with their conscience. Um, and yeah. if those values and purpose are there, then they'll make the right decision. So, what advice would you like to leave the listeners with regarding um, trapping into productivity, and that we're not robots? Right. In other words, it, it, we can get trapped into productivity and we can maybe believe or not believe we're robots, but there's many times we can feel that we're like, we're robot. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, okay, day, I got to wake up. I got to do a podcast. I got to go meet somebody. I got to do this, you know, and there's these robotic elements. There's this, this tasks kind of elements associated with it. But then there's the glimpses in between 
of what is the true nature, right? And so what would you advise people to kind of stay in that true nature or at least see more glimpses of true nature? I would say do the things that give you energy, do more of the things that give you energy and less of the things that take energy. Because when you're doing things that are in alignment with your core values, mm-hmm. with, with service to others, when you're really doing the things that only you are meant to do, something comes alive inside of you and you will feel that energy and it'll all make sense. And you'll be able to start to see the things that are actually taking you away from that and that are just like draining you. That's great advice, you know, and I think um, even I write about that in my book, Energy. And I think what happens is for anybody, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're a housewife, or you're a, you're a, you're a, whatever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, energy management is very, very key, right? It's the key to you being able to sustain the, not the output but sustain your life values and to be um, make a contribution because we're all here to make a contribution to the world. And I think your book is a great contribution to the world, by the way. So I want to put an, another like mention in here, go to the website, Corey McComb, that's C O R E Y M C C O M B.com um, stories to keep you human connect, get creative, and stay human in this new world, uh, which it is a new world. Go there and look at the newsletter, the blog, um, and we will you'll be able to go to Amazon and our links in this podcast to purchase uh, the book. I highly recommend it. I have a, what's called a, a pre-version of the book, the advanced uh, editor's version of the book, and this yes. is a phenomenal book. Uh, but Corey, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for being the kind of person to take the courage to write about it. And it does. The one who took the courage to actually step out from being that person on that treadmill and say, hey, I want to step off and I want to look at the world in a different way. And we need more people like you. So I just want to thank you oh, for thank doing you. that. And thank you for getting the message out. And thank you for speaking to our audience as well. Thanks so much, Greg. It was a pleasure. Hey, excited, namaste excited to you. To the book. You take All right. care. Take care. Bye.